This is Unimpeachable, the songs of the Presidents of the United States of America. And now your hosts, Nick Robes and me, Jason Klom. I'm doing this right now. Does it, does it show who I'm adding to the call? No. It doesn't? Okay, it'll holding, show it in a second you, who I'm adding to the call. Are you holding for room time? Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? This is Jason Klom. Uh, this is my co-host, Nick. Nick, that's Chris Ballou, the President of the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Okay, well, this game is a little bit of a shocker. Uh-huh. Hello, Chris. My name is Nick. <laughs> Hello, Nick. How are you, buddy? You're in the band now. <laughs> We're getting the band back together. <laughs> Great. I'll see you at Mount Rushmore in 10. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Years. <laughs> it will take me a while to walk there. Uh, my car yeah, is not true. doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are it. recording this. Okay, so we're recording this from Maine. We're recording this from Los Angeles. We're recording this from Seattle. Um, Nick is thoroughly unprepared, uh, and yeah. that's okay. But that wow. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Chris, thank you for doing yeah. this, number one. Yeah, this, my pleasure, my pleasure. Happy um, to make people freak out. You know, yeah, it's, it's good, right? <laughs> it's kind of my job, so it's my job. Oh, also, also, honestly, I mean, it's, these all, it's days, all children, but yeah, of course, yeah, best yeah. freak outers. Uh, it's all downhill from here. I just feel like I should point that out. There's like literally, we can't top that on this podcast. So, episode one, we're already, we've just screwed yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Yep. That's it. It's all over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Down thank you for guys for joining us. This has been uh, actually goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> let's so let's quit while we're ahead. Exactly. All right. Yeah. We don't have an official intro because we're just starting it. But Nick, do you want to introduce us? Do I want to introduce? What do you want to do, Nick? You know what? In the history of rock and roll, um, there have been bands, mm-hmm. and there have been artists, mm-hmm. and there have been posers and haters. There have been people across a wide swath and birth and death and a lot of other things. Sure. And you know what? Um, <laughs> we're here to talk to you about stuff. Yep. So let's get into it. Jason, <laughs> good, good uh, job. Clom is my co-host, uh, and uh, let's just uh, let's just get right into it. What the hell are we talking about, J-Bone? Uh, well, the, the, the show is called Unimpeachable, the songs of the presidents of the United States of America. Our guest is Chris Ballou, and he's going to guide us along. What do we want to talk about? Do you want to, we listened to the first album in preparation, but we can talk about the yeah. whole history of the band. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, you're asking me whatever yeah, I want? Yeah, because we're, we're wow. giant fans. When we realized we didn't know that we were both fans of, of your work and then realized we both like to write to your work and edit to your work or whatever. And wow. uh, then realized, oh, shit. Well, maybe we can talk about this. I okay. think it was a I, weird I text message. Yeah, yeah, it was from <laughs> yeah. a text message. And and from the from the ashes of that fiery love comes mm-hmm. this podcast, I mm-hmm. suppose, right? Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> Phoenix rising, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's funny that this comes up right now because simultaneously to you guys starting this thing, I have experienced lately sort of a uh, nostalgic, uh, retroactive, mm, I don't know, surge of uh, love for 
the 1990s presidents of the United States of America. I have mm-hmm. to make the <laughs> distinction because, you know, we had Dave in the band in the 90s, and then we had Andrew in the 2000s and into the teens. Right. And, uh, just um, really quickly, Dieter and McKeague, respectively, for listeners of the podcast. Yes. Andrew uh, Andrew Dieterer. <laughs> no, <laughs> Dave Dieterer and Andrew McKeague. It's pronounced McKeague. Yeah. Um, I've only seen it written. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I get you. I just, you know, so you know, you know. You can call him um, Nike for the rest of the show. Okay, Nike. I like Nike. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I would prefer it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Nike. You got it. Uh, so, yeah, I've been having this thing. I've been uh, So there's this re- website called Pusa Base run yes. by this guy, Oscari Ali. And he put up, and he's been kind of releasing on YouTube uh, these live recordings from back in the day, like uh, early summer, like early May 1994. And then he has one in Sweden that I actually remember because I remember doing this show in Sweden and thinking we are the greatest band in the whole universe because we are, we are melting into these people and creating one big ball of joy. And it was a very memorable show and he, he has it. So it's really kind of funny. It's like, uh, discovering a, you know, um, a box full of photographs from your childhood that you didn't know you had or something. It's pretty right. cool. So I've been I've been kind of swimming back stream and enjoying the waters lately and uh especially enjoying Dave's guitar playing. It's so like explosive and sloppy and weird and then incredibly tight and then explosive <laughs> and sloppy and weird and then incredibly tight. Uh, yeah. I was uh I, I was listening away. to the Mount Rushmore I was watching the Mount Rushmore concert yesterday. And uh, uh-huh. there's there's like a guitar tone that's so it's it's so vintagey because yeah. it's got that like that like almost like uh, Hendrix like it yeah. sounds like yeah. metal strings going through magnets. You know what I'm yeah, saying? That, oh yeah, that's the big muff. You know, uh, is that what it, that is? Yeah, Dave. So Dave had clean. Um, he had like an Ibanez tube screamer. And then a big muff, and that was those were the three levels of of rock, and the idea was huh. to save the big muff for like maybe four or five times in the set when we really needed to like explode, and then mm-hmm. the Ibanez tube screamer was pretty full and musical, and then the clean was clean. So, mm-hmm. um, and then you know playing with Andrew was just a different thing. Andrew started out his sort of clean was was where Ibanez tube screamer was, and then he went to crazy, and then he went to insane. That's it. That's it. That's the big muff. There Nick it is. That's the old version. Amazing. That's the old, <laughs> the vintage version. Yeah, man. In case you wondered which one of us was the musician, ans- question answered. <laughs> That's uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The big muff was problematic though because they break a lot. You oh know? So, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we were always, you know, uh, praying it would make it through another show. I used to use a little. In fact, this is my little. Uh, this is my distortion Aww. pedal. This is my distortion pedal from the presidents when I was uh, trying to get away with using a distortion pedal. Is that it's the bo- boss? It's a Boss Super Overdrive that I spray painted gold, but it's been stepped on so many times <laughs> that it's all messed up. And I still use it on my Casper Baby Pants records when I need a little, little, little grit oh, love in the it. sound. Um, yeah, it has peach, fuzz, booty, and scream. <laughs> is that peach, fuzz, booty, and scream? Is that the so same? This was on stage at the early shows. In fact, in that uh, May Fourth, nineteen ninety four set, you can hear this thing being used. But I oh, and then the guitar I used is here actually. Yeah. 
here's the magical guitar that I, I made the first That's the one from with. the first record. Yeah, there it is. Oh I still, my god, yes. I still so use it. And uh, oh. it's still in it's still in service. I think I can get a feedback loop going here if I put it in the <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, you can see um, me in the <laughs> yeah in the in the metallic pick guard. That's yeah. Mm. Whoa, it's kind of microphonic. <laughs> TVI by the Stooges. We used to start off all of our sets with TVI. Um, anyway, so I've got relics lying around. Uh, and anyway, I guess the point of the whole thing was I stopped using distortion and Dave was in charge of all that color and I just decided to, mm. you know, just have... I, I like the old, the bands where in the old days the, the patch cord went from the guitar and it went to the amp, but it never touched the floor because bands got big too fast and nobody knew how to make patch cords long enough. <laughs> you know, those little <laughs> pictures of like, we're playing an arena, but we only have, oh you know, God. six foot patch cords. So they're all like <laughs> not touching the ground. I love that look. Holy but shit. Good look. Wait a minute. And then I've got also the other relic I've got is the original. This is the guitar that Mark Sandman handed me that was a two string. Um, and it's the two string that started me playing two string. I have it set up right now as a. And that's when you guys were in Boston? Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, I have it set up in deference to Mark now as a slide with one of his patented. Uh, bridge raising uh, little mechanisms there oh. so I can do a... you know little Mark Sandman things um, yeah so <laughs> this thing this thing Mark one day he just sent it to me uh, uh, with no explanation other than a card that said you're in charge of this now and that was about <laughs> a year before he passed away oh. and so it's it's kind of like this uh, I don't know it's like this Thor's hammer that he, <laughs> love that he laid yeah, like on some me. kind of totem. Yeah, yeah, like a totem. Oh, anyway, this, and then this is the guitar. This is the guitar that I played uh, with Beck when I was in Beck's oh. band. I played slide guitar on this guy. And that was that was Damn this it. dude. Um, Does that qualify as a brag or a humble brag? That, I'm not entirely that, sure. That, where that qualifies one goes. as whatever the fuck it wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a fact. Right. I'm yeah. looking around. I'm looking around. I, I, you you know, got I, it all. I don't, I don't, I acquired a lot of guitars in my life, but I don't get rid of the good ones. I don't get rid of the magical ones. The ones so. that like have some kind of significance? Sig no, more than significance, they have ghosts in them. They have songs in them. Like I can look at certain guitars and all of my guitars now uh, uh, do this. I look at them and I feel like there are songs just waiting to come out of them. They've got some sort of, I don't know, like creepiness or ghostiness or uh, something my buddy in high school used to call mute testimony. Like they can't talk, <laughs> but they want to talk. Oh, interesting. So I, help, my, I help them talk. I, I, have a, I have a buddy who's an improviser out in Chicago, and he says that uh, he sees writing jokes as like the perfect joke is already out there waiting for him to discover it. Like he doesn't sure. invent it. He finds yeah. it. I mean, yeah. is that how you feel about songs? Like it's embedded in these 12 notes. Eddie Van Halen famously said, there's 12 notes. You do whatever the fuck you want with them. You, yeah. you know, but like th these combinations exist. It's waiting for you to put it together. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. Uh, it's waiting. Well, they're out there. I feel like uh, the twelve notes are, say, like a bunch of lumber 
in a vacant lot. And then you have to mm. decide what house you're going to build. And that's where your <laughs> your particular brain comes in, right? And uh, right. so you, you can build a crappy house or you can build an amazing house. Uh, and building an amazing house just takes more experience, time, and care, and talent, I guess, than mm. building a crappy house. But, yeah. I never so let's thought go of back. That before, but I, I like that analogy. <laughs> it's, it's good. Also, very good. quickly, Nick, Hold David on. Lee Roth once famously said Panama several times in a row. <laughs> Panama. I, I need something to drink. I wanted to on. contribute to the music stuff. <laughs> Yay! Well uh, done. I, see, I thought about drinking uh, for this. I, 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 I'm just having soda. What a little baby no. I am. This is this is water. Oh, all right, <laughs> I good. My, and I don't feel. I keep so my good. my uh, studio water supply in a giant vodka bottle. I love it. I mm. used to do that, or I used to have two next to each other. One was a <laughs> kettle. One, there was two kettle one bottles. But the one that actually had vodka in it had a piece of paper in front of it that was labeled water. <laughs> You're <laughs> nice. That's some mind games. It really is. Yourself. <laughs> Just Dang. mess with anybody who comes over. <laughs> so what do you guys want to know about the old rock and roll band? Okay, so we 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 see this pedal, we see this guitar. Nineteen. Let's just throw out ninety three for the fun of it. I mean, it seems like part of the songwriting process for you is outside of the music. It's like inventing these like moments mm. for creating this music. Like they're like you're you're making. A, I mean, Mark Sandman obviously was doing the two string bass thing as well, but like you're creating these different avenues to like find a voice that are outside of like well i've got an acoustic guitar and i'm gonna play a g chord right 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 i don't know why i'm compelled to find other ways to do things i don't know it's just i uh did the traditional six string four string guitar you know songwriting thing and i think during that period i was just writing songs that weren't very well maybe they were more unique than i thought but to me they were kind of like uh songs about relationships gone bad or relationships gone good or you know girls big. girls 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 <laughs> and uh all along i knew i wanted to be writing songs that were about weird stuff like animals and food and and i love anthropomorphizing things i mean i see something that looks Kitty. like it. i, I yeah, right. I just wrote a song the other day. My, I went into my wife's uh, art studio, and she had a pencil, a brown pencil that she had sharpened to within an inch of its life. It was just about to <laughs> not be a pencil anymore. And that little pencil to me had such a heartbreaking little <laughs> existence. And I wrote a song called Little Brown Pencil Yay. about a pencil who is used a lot, so it thinks everything in the world is brown. And I'm not going <laughs> to let my brown pencil know that there's other colors because it would break its heart. <laughs> so anyway, Aww. there's that kind of stuff. So having a different perspective on the world, I kind of felt like I needed a different instrument to help with that. Plus, I love all kinds of music, and I love sort of, uh, you know, using my influences uh what do they call it? Wearing them, your influences on your sleeve or something. Mm -hmm. If sure. I do that on a six string and a four string, it really sounds like I'm ripping something off. If I do it on a two string and a three string, it sounds fresh. It sounds new and it makes new chordal relationships just naturally. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, uh, I'm quoting something that I love, but I'm immediately veering off uh, because of the instrument. It's forcing me to play weird. Oh, that's so, so good. You know, that's kind of, partially why i did 
did that weird stuff because I just think weird and I wanted to play weird. <laughs> I was well, it helps you create like a magical space for creation, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know, also it turns out I did some. I happened to read an essay that this uh, guy wrote in the, the eighties uh, named Michael Ventura. And he wrote this amazing essay called Hear That Long Snake Moan. And it was about <laughs> rock and roll and where it came from and how through African slave trade from West Africa through New Orleans, the banjo, the, the banjo, the three-string banjo and two-string uh, sort of catgut guitar thing came from Africa and came up through Louisiana. Wow. And that's where, you know, white North American puritanical minds first saw uh, African dances mm -hmm. because on Sunday nights in Congo Square in New Orleans, they were allowed to congregate in groups of more than one or two, which was illegal everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so hmm. Sunday nights, the white people would go down and watch the uh, African people do their dances and oh, sing shit. their songs. And that's where the fever pitch of rock and roll was first witnessed by crazy. Uh, the Anglos. And then the first leap out of Congo Square was evangelical preaching. And that's when they... They adopted that, like, you know, possessed vibe where the body or the, the mind and the body intersect. That's the crossroads, right? Mm. Uh, I know I'm laying a lot of history lessons This is on so here, good. No, no, this is so good. All and that, then, and then all that, that stuff's amazing because to Kitty scratching you at the screen. Well, <laughs> in a way it does because that's part of why Mark Sandman had a two-string because he was really mm. into African music and uh, he – started working with those limitations because that's he was like that's where that's the roots of our music and so i want to like i want to you know be limited in the same way that they were limited and see mm. what comes up and so when i picked it up i felt somehow i felt like yeah that's it i needed to be hogtied a little bit yeah. in order to sound unique and uh, so anyway, now I feel a little bit of pride just in the heritage of it, like playing three strings and two strings. It feels like I'm kind of, uh, I don't know, paying homage or respect to the origins of rock and roll. So good. Right. I say homage, but uh, really quick, I'm going to let <laughs> yeah. you talk in about 30 seconds, Javon. But uh, Chris, here's here's one thing that. I think that it, when I listen to like Morphine, if I listen to like Good or something like that, versus if I listen to that first President's album, I I do hear that interesting take on history. But what I hear in a President's album is I hear like Americana, like I hear like oh, roots sure. music, well, and like not, a lot of that folky country yeah, vibe. Yeah. I don't mean that you're going to hear it. I just mean that there that's why it exists, yeah. you know. I mean, then you can, like, again, you got all those pieces of wood in the vacant lot. You can take the two-string guitar and you can play whatever you want on it. You don't have to play something that, like, you know, harkens back to that origin thing. Although I do some of that in the Casper Baby Pants thing. Mm -hmm. I take old mm -hmm. slave chants and work songs and kind of tweak them into new stuff. But, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing with me and Mark was Mark was like this – totem pole of cool and i was this like little <laughs> monkey flying around like jumping around the totem pole like hey man hey man what's up and uh, uh to, my favorite to thing was you to, yeah. dorks trying to play rock yeah well yeah that was presidents we were we were dorks trying to rock and that's why we were endearing that's why i'm kind of into the 90s version of the band right now because that's back when we were pulling that off when we were we were 
like dorks trying to play something that sounded like Kiss, but we were on these toy instruments. And, you know, <laughs> I think what happened then is the band empathized. They're like, or the uh, crowd would empathize. They'd be like, you know, oh, we want to be that too. No, no. I think they were like, oh, I hope those little dorks can do it. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> they're trying so hard. I hope they can. Pu- yeah, look at them. Look at them. I just want to put them in my pocket, the little dorks. But then we be- then we became You're the like nice a little kid invited to prom. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Then we became like a real rock band, though, mm-hmm. and you know, cranked up the big machinery for fifty thousand people, and that whole uh. dimension was was gone. And frankly, that's when I wanted out. I wanted out immediately because I was like, oh. Well, we lost our juju. Mm-hmm. But was that after right, the first record or the second record? I wanted out right when the first record came out. Holy shit! <laughs> no way, Holy really? Shit. Oh yeah, I wanted to pull a Sex Pistols and just like freeze us <laughs> oh. at the greatest <gasps> moment of our lives. Oh my god! But when you're riding a pony that is shitting gold bricks, you hold <laughs> sure. on to the mane and hope you don't fall off into the dirt. And uh, uh, you know, so I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm really glad you didn't because goddamn, I love that second record so yeah. much. Ah, thank you, thank you. We always refer to the second record as a great. EP. <laughs> <laughs> like there's enough great songs in there to make a really good EP, and then there's a, there's some there's some cotton filler. But although I listened to it not too long ago, and I loved every minute of it, yeah. especially that weird puffy little shoes yep. rock out section. That's so bizarre. That's the one that you choose, right? What's that? That's the one you choose, the puffy little what? shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, if I had a choice between the two, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, I didn't know it that. Assumes a choice. That's what this podcast was gonna be. Nick setting them up. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. No, that's good. I love that. <laughs> I I gotta say though, like, so I was watching some video of you today in other bands, to be fair, but like some of these videos are like thirty years old, and there is an element of that same dude now in such in in like the best possible way you've held on to whatever the magic is i hate to say magic but whatever that is about your performance and skill you've held on to that for 30 years but also evolving in this in a way where i was i i really upset my wife the other day by telling her how rivers cuomo writes writes songs and (laughs) just to compare them to you to you because i find your the style of your art and the style of your writing more satisfying to me as an artist i like to call myself an mm. artist and it's just like oh no you you just continue to try shit see if it works and some yeah. somehow for me it's magical it's like it, because it's uh I, I i can't in any way elaborate on that because nick's a musician i'll have nick try and read my mind but there's something about the simplicity <laughs> of it and and the beauty and that makes it very beautiful to me and uh, yeah i'm just curious how what it is you think you're holding on to that is making your stuff still work I mean, if it's curiosity, if it's a combination uh, of things. Innocence. Yeah. I'm try- I, what I really loved about being in the presidents was that we were, you know, we, we were, I mean, we were in our late 20s, but, mm-hmm. and Jason a little younger, but I just want to be like, a, I want to be a child mm-hmm. my whole life. I want to live like a child. That's one of the reasons I love doing what I'm doing now is it really puts me in a, you know, zero to six-year-olds world, which is what I focus on with that music and their parents, of course. Sure. Entertaining both, but we can get to that later. But um, <laughs> so it's being childlike that really has helped me uh, feel connected to every moment, you know, like, uh, oh, maybe I'll try this, maybe I'll try that. And not pigeonholing myself. I am, I'm always amazed that people can 
pick one kind of music and do it for their whole life. Like mm-hmm. I'm a rockabilly guitar player, you know, I'm a hillbilly fiddle man and or whatever. I mean, I get that there's a heritage maybe and they've been passed it by their dad and the, from their grandfather to their dad to them. And I used to envy that actually. I remember watching an interview once with a fiddle player who was like, you know, f- seventh generation fiddler and I was like, oh man, that's so cool. He's got this like lineage. Yeah. But in the end, I feel really good uh, genre hopping and uh, vibe hopping. And that's one thing I love about working alone now and outside the context of a band. Even though with the presidents, we did some really good genre hopping. You know, we had our country songs, funky songs, Mm. punk songs, pop songs. You know, it was all in there, but I get to do that even more now with the instrumentation. I get to like do songs that are just all strings mm-hmm. or mixing in um, orchestral stuff with hillbilly stuff. And, you know, I just put a song out on my last record called, the re- song was called Disco Hippo, and it's a disco song with a harmonica solo. Holy so I'm shit. like, you know, <laughs> oh, that's so good. I'm pushing it. Uh, but, quick nerd uh, question. So that, that's, what, that's what keeps me uh, going is that I'm always. Um, coming up with weird alchemy mm. quick nerd question are you doing all of this in the box like so are you doing like uh virtual instruments for orchestral stuff or are you calling in friends who are violin players i mean how's that oh, working yeah. no i have a not in the box but i have a nord um keyboard that has great samples oh, okay. and stuff and i can download new samples from the internet into it and i modify those and i and it's really how you use them you know like you, you can't you don't want to just sit there and do big string pads it's kind of like yeah, yeah. I, I, anytime i do a string part or a string section i do each player solo and then i pan them around so that they as a really, separate track yeah i don't do nice. chords with strings and mark sandman taught, that, taught me that he's like always if you really want to na- you know have a keyboard sound great use one or two fingers never three <laughs> that is a lot of work <laughs> yeah i know but it's worth it the effect is way better it, it, hell yeah yeah people say like oh you should get real strings but i don't know i would just struggle to make them sound cartoonish like the ones on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> i like the cartoonish i like the way george martin did strings for the beatles he would he would mic them really close so you get all the scrapey oh sounds. oh yeah it's almost okay. almost like a distorted guitar it's such a great sound yeah if you so, think of like, like eleanor to... rigby or something oh, yeah, huh. yeah that's it Okay. I like to imitate that a lot, that like real close, scratchy sound. Yeah. A lot of people consider him to be the fourth eye blind. (laughs) You're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. (laughs) Also, Nick, he's just a little, he, you know what he, the thing about him is he's just a little better than Ezra. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Also, real quick, Nick, you dropped the ball. When he said Weird Alchemy, I was expecting you to say, I love Weird Alchemy's parody (laughs) gump. I mean, come on now. Weird Alchemy. Boy, that could be a great title for a mm. uh, documentary about Weird Al. Oh, yeah. shit. All right. Copyright, trademark, whatever we have to say. That's ours now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I love so Weird there, Al. He's a, there's a, he's rumor a good buddy that, of mine. Weird Al's the reason I started I my other podcast. Sorry, Nick. But Weird Al's the reason I started my other <laughs> podcast. So, I mean, I'm glad that you're you know also a fan. I'm assuming you were a fan before he covered your song. Covered, parodied. Uh, yeah, yeah, a very respectful fan, and then he covered the song, and then we became friends after oh. that. So we've been friends for a long, long time. That's so good. And, uh, yeah, he's a he's a good dude. I love Wow. He is the nicest I person wow. I've ever met. <laughs> he is. He's a nice person, and he is a incredible listener. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just like bzz, he is yours while you're talking to him. I asked him huh. about that once because I was like, Al, you are just like so present. Whenever we're having a conversation, he's like, actually, uh, 
my hearing is kind of shitty <laughs> from <laughs> all this loud music, so I've got to pay attention. <laughs> and I care. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to a friend the other day, and I said how I'm a horrible listener uh, because I'm I'm just uh, my mind is constantly worrying, and I have a hard time stopping oh, it. Yeah. Sure. And she says, "Well, I come off as a good listener because I'm horrible at thinking of things to say, so I just don't interrupt people fast enough. So I come off as a great listener." Wow, what a charade! <laughs> <laughs> but it's a charade that's built in. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So before, it's an homage to a charade. I feel. Yeah, it's like somebody <laughs> who's beautiful coming off as a good actor. There you go. <laughs> uh, before I interrupted you, Nick, with my aside about Weird Al, you had a question, I believe, or a comment, uh, or a joke. Who knows what the fuck you were gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> with me, it's hard to tell at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a question about. <laughs> I just put you on the spot, big time. We were talking about <laughs> strings and such. Yeah, I've got a question. If you and if that, you want to think on it. Yeah. All right. Stop. <laughs> but please lay your question. If down. you don't, if you don't mind, okay. Chris. So here's the thing. So I think the first song of yours I would have ever heard would have been Lump and in high school the weird kids in my high school were having this is one of the strangest I I remember this today I went in people are talking about the the song Lump and I'm like what are you talking about and I finally hear it and I feel like okay cool song and then they they're everybody's like what does it mean they're trying to have this deep dark conversation about what does Lump really mean and I'm like it's a fun song what do you guys they tried for the entire school day to figure out the meaning of Lump yeah Um, I'm just gonna ask you for the sake of those 15 year old kids in my high school what does Lump mean and then feel free to say nothing it is exactly what I'm singing about that's what I thought I mean I'm it's just (laughs) exactly it's a weird vision I had of a woman in a housecoat in a river uh, kind of dumb, mm-hmm. kind of just sitting there, and you don't know if she's dead or alive. I don't know what circumstances I'm coming upon this woman in the river. <laughs> right. Why I'm seeing her, I don't know. Maybe that's the mystery part yep, that sure. everybody wonders about. Why mm. am I singing about this? But what I'm singing about is exactly what the lyrics say. And, you know, it's just the road less traveled, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very, very proud of that song. It's like this perfect combination of... Uh, uh, mysterious lyrics they're they're uh, sort of captivating and and compelling mm-hmm. but they're like abstract and bizarre kind of like John Lennon. I love I love when John Lennon would write stuff that had the weight of the real world in it you know like mm-hmm. but it was also this like collage this mishmash but it felt like he was describing something real and you know it turns out if you dissect the verses yeah he's singing about this news story and that news story and a box of cornflakes and a circus poster and uh-huh. you know all this right. real stuff but uh um, anyway, that one just came right out of the brain, and um, yeah, super proud of it. Because and it's also then wrapped in this musical, like visceral package, mm-hmm. which I, I never, ever, ever was anywhere but totally present and happy whenever we played that song live. There was so no. Huh. That's the one song where I'm constantly felt like it was 1993 again. That's so. amazing. Cool. I mean that cool. the the amazingness of the the like chugging baseline for most of it but then what when it breaks up is for she's lump she's lump, like it, yeah, it the, yeah. the you know all the riff matches the the lyrics so what you get is this over emphasis on this one moment which yeah. totally completely breaks up the like you know it's That's like true, it's yeah. such a like fun like punk moment 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I was that was me wearing my influence on my sleeve, and that influence was the Buzzcocks. Mm-hmm. Oh that yeah, was me try, that was me trying to write a Buzzcocks song. They had one song. I can't remember which one it was, but it fall in love with start, someone. <laughs> Maybe it it was a song where when it started it sounded like it was already going like it started and it was just <laughs> like you know? mm. yeah it's just like ah, da, 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 da. and uh, originally Lump had guitar and bass in it from the very beginning but mm. Conrad our guy who was recording us decided he was like hey what if we mute the guitar and the bass in the beginning and it's just drums and vocals so um, yeah originally it had that like uh-huh. hit the ground running kind of vibe and then he kind of made a space there. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so since we're talking about Lump, uh, years ago, I went on a road trip and we went through Seattle and we stopped at the Experience Music Project, uh-huh. of which they have a president's uh, uh, display. Sure. Yeah. Are you yeah. aware of that? <laughs> Did anybody tell yeah, you about yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was definitely aware of it. In fact, I remember- if you were like, uh, what? <laughs> no, I remember going to it when it opened and I was doing some other band. We had broken up and the EMP opened up and then I was uh, looking all over my house for this um, guitar strap. My, the roadie in the president's <laughs> the end had made me a guitar strap that was like studded with heavy metal studs. And I was like, I was in this new band where I was playing acoustic guitar. I was like, oh, it'd be super funny if I put like a heavy metal guitar strap on this acoustic guitar. Where is that thing? Where is that thing? Uh, oh, look, you know, it's it's four o'clock. I got to go to the EMP and get interviewed in front of our display. So, <laughs> oh, well, I go down there and there's the strap in the display case. I'm like, I need that. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that's, that's so amazing. So, but the original, I'm assuming it's the original. I don't know if it's draft four. Lyric sheet for Lump is in that display. Yes. And yeah. one of my favorite lines in Lump was a revision. You can see the original line crossed out uh, a- yeah. and the line slipped on a kiss and tumbled into love is added in. That's right. What was the original line? It, it it's less surreal. It's 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 more of like a like a basic line of like a uh it's it's not like slipped on a kiss. It's something like kiss somebody and fell in love or something like that. And then you created this like nice visceral surreal moment of slipped on a kiss and tumbled into love. Ah. I'm just going to well, tell you I'm about looking, your life really quick. I'm lo- oh, here it is. I found it. I found it. I found it online. Let me see if I can zoom in here. <laughs> yes, I love this. I love this so much. He's Nick, you could have looked it up yourself, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I You're know. Lazy. No, damn it's a Blink-182 song. Okay, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Good God. We're going to go through every 90s band possible today, aren't we? I think we are. Can we just get Dog's Eye View out of the way, please? Because I don't want to mention it again. That's it's. Uh, <laughs> wow, some... Well, what is going on here? What am I looking at? I'm looking at... Oh, it's Pledge Music. It's our Pledge oh. Music campaign. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think what happened is the EMP gave all those original lyrics back to me, mm. and then I sold them as part of our pledge music campaign campaign <laughs> to mm. um, you know the highest bidder wow. sort of thing. Because right. I figured you know rather than the stuff sitting around in my house gathering dust, somebody who is really happy should uh, have it. Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can see it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I slipped and fell over. Oh, fell over into love. I slipped on. Oh, a, is that what it was? I slipped on 
something emotions and fell over. I slipped on. Oh, I slipped on her emotions and fell over into love. That's okay. it. I slipped on a kiss and tumbled into love is better. Yeah. I slipped on her emotions and fell into. Oh, wait, wait. I slipped on her emotions and fell. Oh, yeah. There's just too many syllables. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. It's I probably clunky. went to sing it and I was like. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look at that. You could you could have bought the Lump original vocals, the Peaches original vocals, Jesus. the <laughs> Volcano, Mach 5. Oh, my yeah. God. That song's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's what? me trying to write a Kiss song. So. <laughs> Volcano or Mach 5? Oh, Mach 5. Volcano is oh. me trying to write a song by an obscure band you probably never heard of from Chicago called Menthol that I loved at the time. I have not. going to look yeah. that up. You should. Uh, yeah. So the reason I got into presidents, this is going to sound weird. Uh, I remember somebody brought. Is it sexual? <laughs> <laughs> almost the exact opposite. Uh, okay. I remember somebody brought that first record into uh, school. I was in middle school at the time. I'm a I'm a young man, and sure. uh, I I I was brought up very religious. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Ooh, I'm I'm 99 sure that God won't want me doing this." Uh, <laughs> Starting to sound sexy, <clears throat> Nick. So like, I just like I I was kind of <laughs> like, "Oh, this there's this thing, President of the United States of America out there." But uh, weirdly, I was really into ski movies. <laughs> the f- ski the movies. What the yeah, heck like, is that? Like movies of people <laughs> skiing. Like they were they were a genre. It happened. <laughs> Oh, just you mean like outdoor shots, or better off so, dead. not like movies where like it's about right. a bunch well, of teenagers going skiing or something. Uh, like, actually, it's that's pretty close. Like Caddyshack for skiing. Like better off dead. Uh, Does well, that exist? so Warren Miller movies oh, yeah. is the the big. Oh name. yeah yeah yeah, I know the name. He's like the Bruce Brown of skiing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and so then now. Volcano was in this uh, particular. Warren Miller movie. Oh, that rings a bell. I think I remember doing that license. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. it, it was Free Riders. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I like devoured that whole soundtrack, and I was like, I want everything that is on this, and I I had to watch the end credits because the internet wasn't that great at the time. Sure. Uh, or easy to navigate at the time. So I just watched all the end credits and I wrote down every song mm. and every artist and I went out and I bought Presidents 2 the next day. <laughs> wow, cool, man. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, there, there you go. That's an example of uh, licensing doing its job, <laughs> turning people on to music. Yeah, I like it. Cool, cool. Is, yeah. Uh, so Volcano versus Kitty. The th- yes. The thing that I can't, the thing that I actually was going to, <laughs> I was in the car earlier listening to the first record and I was like thinking of things I was going to talk to uh, J Bone about, just being like, what the hell am I going to talk He's about? He's the only podcast? person There's who calls much. me J Bone, just for the record. This is not a thing. J Bone. He insists right. upon it. That's fine. Go ahead. Do your thing, Nick. Yeah, it's his nickname. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was trying to like, think of like well you know i'm thinking of all the smart things i was gonna say on this podcast before all of a sudden you show up and i sound like a complete idiot uh uh and i was like well you know the 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 quintessential song uh uh by presidents of the united states of america would would definitely be blah 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 because it perfectly balances blah 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 and blah 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 and i was thinking about like volcano and this like 
like stream of consciousness, just like absurdism after absurdism. It's so good. And the rhyming is so perfect. But it's so like abstract versus Kitty, which is so unbelievably banal of just a cat scratching you. Like that's the whole song. And I was trying to like reconcile like where presidents falls and where your lyrical style falls in that context. Like it's a huge spectrum and it's all over the map in that. I mean, like, how do yeah. you, uh, uh, in NPR style, please respond to that. <laughs> uh, I don't have a, the thing is, I don't have a sort of, uh, whatever it's called, litmus test, I guess is the word for what makes good or bad lyrics. I just mm. think every song has its own, I th- I feel like every song is trying to be something and then. I'm, I either get it right away and it's really clear and smooth and easy, or it's like it's trying to be something, but I try to make it something else, and then I have to kind of wor- you know worm it back. And in response to that like wrestling match, I'll change the lyrical style. Like these days, when I'm writing songs for kids and parents, I will rewrite a song over and over and over, trying to get the right perspective and vibe and feel. And some of them come like you know right out of the box, and some of them come real slow. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Some of them are more descriptive. Now, Kitty as a song is not as, not a great, you know, it's not like a, a feat of songwriting, of craft in a way. It sounds super easy, but it's the more successful of the two songs. If you want to put Kitty and Volcano up against each other, I mean, Kitty is like, it because Kitty then has that like sexual tension innuendo. Am I singing about a cat? Am I singing about something else? You know, and so that that makes the song crackle. Mm-hmm. Volcano is, yeah, like a crafted thing, and I loved writing all those crazy rhymes and lines and stuff. Uh, stream of consciousness, like mashing volcanic imagery and and stereo imagery together. But it does; it's a little more of a shiny wall of of uh, lyrics, and it's harder to. Mm. It doesn't have that visceral, like you know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, a little more, it's almost more of a parlor trick, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Huh. So, and that's why I was trying to write a menthol song. Menthol is this band from Chicago that had these really uh, dense. Uh, visual complex lyrics and I was I sat down with the record for the first time and got the lyrics out and read the lyrics while I listened and I had like hallucinatory experience <laughs> like writing along with this guy's Amazing. songwriting and so I was like I want to write and we ended up taking him out on tour with us um, for a while in uh, the 90s so no shit yeah, yeah, they were good guys they were from Chicago and we played in Chicago on I think it was like game five of the nba series where the chicago bulls and the sonics were going at it and it was a pivotal game five like if the sonics lost it's over if they win uh you know we go on to the next thing and it was in chicago so we're playing at the theater and we had a tv on a cart like you know like an av (laughs) cart and every three or four songs, we'd wheel the TV out and watch the game <laughs> with the audience for a couple Holy minutes. Shit. And one of those times, we wheeled it out, and it was like, all right, let's watch, everybody. It's a big screen TV, you know, as big as we could get in the 90s. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. As, as deep as it is big. CRT, <laughs> and, uh, old school. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we wheeled it out for one of those, and it was right when Michael Jackson did one of his patented, like, takeoff from the top of the key, tongue wagging, just like slam dunk, and the crowd just went, wah! <laughs> 
Um, and luckily, the Sonics won that night because if the Bulls had won, we would have been in lockdown at the club. We would not have been able to leave because oh, the city it would have been a riot. Mayhem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Sonics won that night, but Menthol got a hold of a label maker and put labels that said Bulls win all over all of our road cases. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Just to screw with us. That was fun. That was super fun. Oh. Yeah. Back in the day oh. when we had a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask us? My throat hurts. I'm going to I'm gonna put in a lozenge. Please, so I might, please do. I might. Beautiful. Oh, well, luckily I have this, uh, <laughs> this uh, saltwater taffy that I also need to eat. So mm-hmm. this whole, well, <laughs> here's the asshole I am. I've been doing podcasts for seven years and I'm drinking caffeinated soda right now and it is drying me out. I can't. I'm an idiot. I'm not the smartest person. Yeah. Uh, you need to drink water from a whiskey jug. I That's really, what you need I to do. really should. I, I do want to. Here's, here's a question I've got. You're a Seattle guy. You're a Seattle guy going back to when you're a tiny fellow. Um, you ever drink yeah. that Starbucks coffee? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> y'all bring that Starbucks coffee. You ever been to that coffee? fish market? Um, the- now, <laughs> now, do y'all have a Sasquatch in your house? <laughs> What's up with that troll under the bridge? Is he friendly? <laughs> now, do y'all have fish in your pants? <laughs> I, you're actually getting to where I was going. It's a stylistic question. You sing with an accent that you don't have mm. when you speak, and I'm curious what that's what influence that I is. I do. Yes. What? Wait a minute. Oh, what at? There's an there's an accent. Two string, no string. There's an accent that is as as eccentric as. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. America. Kind of twangy. You play. You mean, it's yeah, old. it's twangy, and I love it. It is. Yeah, one because of my... you know why? That's because my uh, family's all from Missouri. There we are. Or Missouri, as we say it. So if I go to Missouri mm-hmm. or Missouri, mm-hmm. and I visit my family. I very quickly start talking like this. This just slides right on in there. Yeah. I just start talking like this. Like, hey, Bart, you want to go out for breakfast? Well, hot damn sure. You know, just like, burn. <laughs> so uh, that's just lurking. <laughs> that's lurking, looking for any excuse to come out, okay. that little twang thing. That's funny you say that, though, because my mom uh, was a massive fan of the band. that used to come to all the shows. And she had me in her 40s, so she mm. was pretty, you know, she was in her late 70s when she started to come to shows. And... Um, she would be right up front in the mosh pit. <laughs> it was amazing. Little oh, what frail, the heck? Little, gir- little woman, little girl. Uh, and she used to comment on like, now I don't think you need to use quite as much twang as you, uh-huh. you know, like <laughs> you're, ob- you're obscuring the meaning of the songs with all your, you know, your like accent. <laughs> now she was from Aberdeen, so she wasn't from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. My dad was from the Midwest, mm-hmm. so. She oh was from, gosh. she was very, she was very proud to have grown up uh, like, I don't know, half a mile from Kurt Cobain's house. So mm-hmm. she had pictures of Kurt Cobain. She had pictures of Kurt Cobain all over her fridge. She was a proud, <laughs> proud shit. Aberdeen, You're... Aberdeen Holy resident. Crap. That young Kurt who lived down the road. Yeah. Such a polite He's boy. such a nice man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a nice boy. Yeah. Holy. Exactly. What, uh, <laughs> you know, I was talking to Sylvia Cobain the other day. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I have. Okay. So here's the thing. This is going to be every question I ask about music is I think I should have established 100% ignorant. I like music. I know what I enjoy, but it's mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to ask some dumb questions that Nick's going to be like, oh, fuck. Why did you ask that? But here's my serious question. What is what outside of grunge? What is the uh, what is the world of music in Seattle the time you're coming up? And I know you were also playing in Boston before that, too. So uh, once you get to yeah. I'm just curious where where you were and in the different uh, and, and in the different places you played and were home based at. What was the world of music? because you're clearly set a, set apart from anything I heard at the time. So 
Um, well, I think Boston and Seattle were kind of similar in that they were very eclectic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was like all, and I think that's probably true of every city, but you know, the story sells better if it's like the land of grunge yeah. or, you know, the land of power pop or the land of hillbilly or whatever. But, um, yeah, my impression of Seattle especially was that there's just like this crazy variety and this like kaleidoscope of different music. I, I was in some like psychedelic jam bands for a while and, you know, um, there's all this noisy stuff and avant-garde stuff and uh, jazz and it was soul funk, all, all soul. Fu- yeah, funk, uh, pop. Did like, you ever run into pop. Reggie Watts in that time? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't know him back in the 90s, but I knew him in the 2000s. Yeah, we, huh. we did a TV show together at one point. Because MockTube uh, would have been around that time, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. I didn't really under. I didn't really know MockTube back in the 90s but um were they around i don't know if they were around were they around in the 90s uh, i'm not sure i'd have to i'd have to do yeah, a little have twiddling to. on the twiddler 1996 <laughs> apparently yeah i didn't know of them that much back then but i was aware you know of all the different kinds of music that was that were percolating and boston was kind of the same way boston was a little more competitive than seattle and one of the reasons i loved hanging out with mark sandman is that he was kind of like this uh hub on a wheel you know he was like a central character that all these different kinds of musicians knew so living with him and playing with him and hanging out with him all these different people would float through you know Mm. like uh, this guy mickey bones who was an incredible new orleans style jazz drummer and saxophone players and guitar players and bass players and i i got exposed to all these different people and so my experience in boston was a little more unique i think than some some people you know there's the boston was famous at that time for the battle of the bands maybe in the years kind of earlier than Mm. when i was there it was it just felt really like competitive you know like you win the battle of the bands and you're going to get to go out of boston and leave and you know have a life and yeah, it's know. like an it's 80s just... movie. Mm-hmm. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit, yeah. But that was my, you know, my outsider impression too. That could be totally, okay. you know, uh, skewed. Sure. Interesting. But um, I just loved Seattle because it was my home, really. And it made me feel really happy. Like I woke up one morning in Boston in 1992 or three, no, three, I think. And it was cold, and I was sick, and it was, I was just like, what am I doing here, man? <laughs> There's this incredible place that I grew up in. I need to get home. And it's Where like, it rains the 90% of the time. Yes, please. <laughs> all that moisture, all that muck and mushrooms. Uh, that's why a boggy marsh. Oh, you know? that's hilarious. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's Seattle. What do you think your career would have been? Uh, how would it have gone if you had been in singles instead of Eddie Vedder? That's my next question. Half serious. <laughs> well, actually, I can almost answer that. So when we, <laughs> I think it would have been uh, a l- shittier <laughs> in a way you wouldn't expect. Okay. I don't know. I mean. I don't want to give any. I don't want to give anyone else's story away. But there's there are stresses that come along with being someone like Eddie or someone in those band. You know, someone who swims in those upper uh, strata of the waters. Sure, there sure. There's a lot. There have been of plenty stress. of movies about that, <laughs> dude. There's a lot of stress involved, and I do not want any part of it at all. I am incredibly happy swimming in the lower section 
where I get to do cool stuff. I get to make music. People like it. I get to have a great life, and I don't worry about security or my kids' safety or any of that stuff. But yeah. there was a moment in the 90s when we were being courted by major labels. We played at the Dragonfly in Los Angeles, and Madonna came to see us that night. She was very obviously Madonna. You know, She had the, like hat and the sunglasses and the scarf Mm -hmm. like it looked like a famous person trying not to be seen you know (laughs) and uh that's a whole other story her situation but um so after the show we got cornered by a couple people who were like hey we're doing this thing called reality television and we want to follow a (laughs) band this was like these were the i think if i remember right these were the people that created the real world yep and they were they were starting out, and then their first idea was to follow a band as they go through the whole machination of getting signed and going on tour and what happens to them. Sure. And uh, we just immediately were like, no, hey. no oh, way. Thank God. We are we are overwhelmed enough. And at one point, we figured out who they were. Later, we were like, oh yeah, that was those people. You know, now they're kings of reality TV. Of and it made us even more it made me even more glad that we said no because uh tv can really like put you up in the higher bracket where you're all of a sudden like being recognizable yeah you're being watched by all these like angry eyeballs Mm -hmm. um chris chris novoselic put it really well to me one time he's like don't ever knowingly do something that will put you in my world because my world is full of dark fear right (laughs) and weirdos (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, that is a abstract answer to you. No, that's a, that's a that's a I love great, it. great question. Um, so there's a there's a thing that I read once, and I've never been able is to. Is it find called it a book? <laughs> I've only read I've only read one. It's called the Bible. Have you heard of our good oh, news? Oh shit! Oh the oh the Bible. You're the talking Bibli? about the Bible. Yeah. Have you heard the about Bibli? the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus and Goad. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> Muzzes. There's the bush. It burns. Yeah, Muzzes. It's fun. <laughs> I love those. Th- those wacky guys. <laughs> yeah, it raises okay, a hand. Go a lake goes bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I read something once, and it said that... Um, that, at, there was, that you guys changed names for for gigs just cuz you guys didn't really have a name at the time and then the name the name you said the night that somebody came up to you after like an A&R rep or something was presence of the United States of America and you were like well i guess that's the name now that's close that's close actually what happened was uh i used to take acid in the uh i was going to ask if you did drugs <laughs> and the guy that supplied me with the acid and the weed back in the 90s this guy max uh, we used to hang out at his house, and there was this really cool uh, like hippie that hung out there named Fred, Fred Freedom. <laughs> and one day, I'm, one day I'm walking down the street, and Fred Freedom comes walking up the street, and Fred's like, hey, man, I'm having a party Saturday night. You should come. And I'm like, this is during the time when we had no name and we were changing it. Sure. And so I said, yes, I'll go to the party. So I showed up at the party with my two-string guitar, and there was a little band playing. And eventually it was just me and the drummer. I'm playing two-string. He's playing drums. And we were desperate for a band name. Every time we got together for drinks before rehearsal, we were all required to come with five band names. And we just said them real fast and no judgment until one hit, you know, like, let's just try it. Zebra So that night, 
Yeah, exactly. That night I was trying that in between every jam I did with this drummer for these like eight stoned hippies in this living room in Seattle. <laughs> I would say so, like, hey, thank you very much. We're the electric blueberries from outer space. Or thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. We're, you know, we're the corn muffins. And We uh, love you, Cleveland. <laughs> one of the times I just said we're the presidents of the United States of America and all eight of the stoned hippies just fell out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> they, they it was, I was like, well, all right, I'll put it in my five. <laughs> You know, that I'm going to say when we get together. And when I said it, Dave and Jason and I just looked at each other and were like, yeah, that's just so dumb that it'll, it'll be perfect. It has nothing to do with us and our music. And it is like 17 syllables uh-huh. and totally memorable at the same time. So, yeah. So yeah. when the uh, that public access gig that you did, when the governor of Washington comes on beforehand, and he says, well, I may be the governor of Washington, but these are yeah. the presidents of the United States. Was that planned? Or did he just come oh, up yeah, with yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, he he came up with that. And then, yeah, and then you saw him jump in on the song, Volcano. I love that. That was so great. So good. Gary Luke. Former Governor Gary Luke. He's a good sport. I love that guy. Yeah. That's such a <laughs> That actually, moment. I got to say, that's actually one of the best performances of Volcano we did on TV. That that performance, we were both playing three strings at that point oh, for some okay. reason. I didn't play a two string on that that night. And uh, I love that recording of, of uh, Volcano. It's really, it is groovy. really good. How wait? How <laughs> yeah. easy or difficult is that kind of a changeup? I because I'm not. I can barely play a six string. So I'm curious. Like, uh, well, you the, know, the two string is the two string is here. I'll show you. Let me grab one here. It's all tuned to fifths, right? Yeah, it's root fifth root. So the two string hmm. is. Whoa! It's got to be in tune. <laughs> I mean. You know, Sonic Youth made a career out of not having that happen. Okay, so two string is, and three string is. So it's just an extra string. So if I were two stringing it, I'd be like. If I had three string it, it's just a kind of a different, you know, one extra note. And you can do stuff like sevenths, and you can do stuff like minors. That's not quite in tune either, is it? <laughs> this is my little baby. I love this guy. I record a lot of songs on this guy. It's a pretty. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty much. But that, then again, uh, I'm permanently on the three string now in the Casper thing when I play live, mm-hmm. and there's a whole. It took me like a year or two to really get the three string down. It's different. Like two string, I was really banging Chugging. on it, you know. Yeah. yeah, and this one, I'm more like Johnny Cashing it down the road, like picking and and. Uh, and grinning. I've seen footage of you six stringing it though. I mean, like, how often do you go back to traditional tuning? Oh, yeah. I have a six string in the house. Oh, which, whoa. Uh, I didn't know it was that serious <laughs> between you two. And actually, lately, I've been playing a lot of six string. Yeah. I've been like digging some of my old uh, tracks from the 80s and playing those riffs. And yeah. Please tell me it's Emotional of... Cowboy. <laughs> uh, emotional Cowboy got reworked and is on my new Casper album as Emotional <laughs> Robot. Awesome. Actually. Yeah, you gotta check it out. uh, Quick story, Uh, I was preparing for this last night as well, and I was listening to uh, the the record that Emotional Cow- Dukes of Pop, and and I was listening to Emotional Cowboy, and my girlfriend was- she never really pays attention when I'm doing stuff, and she kind of like like perked up from her phone and was just like, this is really good. 
cool. I like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. wait, yes, uh, really quickly, uh, let me tell you 27 <laughs> hours worth of trivia that I know. And she was like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. She grabbed her giant bottle of vodka and just went, She grabbed the kettle one labeled water. Yep, yep. That was my, that song was written about my uncle, Paul, who was from Missouri. Yeah, from Missouri. I was in Missouri for a family reunion, 1985, and uh, he got real choked up making a speech at the reunion, and he's such a big, tough farmer dude. Not a cowboy, but, you know, I took poetic mm. license yeah, yeah. and uh, wrote that song about him. And, uh, yeah, that song just sat there on that Dukes of Pop tape, and, you know, one of the things I do in the Casper thing is I kind of look back through my catalog and think, well, that song just sort of died on the vine there, so I'm just going to scrape it off and... You know, shake it up and rewrite the thing or do whatever it takes to make it kind of maybe resurrect. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But Emotional Robot definitely worked. I'm getting a lot of little kids and parents digging that tune. So got to check it out. Yeah. And that's my one and only robot song as a children's performer. I don't write anything about (laughs) anything cool, man. No spaceman dinosaurs. Uh -uh. No fire trucks. None of that. No. Once they get into cool, they are not my friends anymore. (laughs) I strictly do songs about math and... uh... (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) no. as you're digging back into the stuff that specifically, like, we're talking... Actually, you know, I did want to ask you, because this is something you can't get online, and it sells for too much money, the Froggy-style tape. I I just want to know a little bit about it and, like, what's different from that to, like a full-on studio album in terms of like what you changed, what it felt like to go from making that tape and, you know? Yeah. Well, that tape was made at the Laundry Room Studios with Barrett uh, Barrett Jones, who went on to work on uh, the Foo Fighters' first mm-hmm. record with Dave. It was just Barrett and Dave making that. And I see Barrett around town every once in a while. And he had a deal, so he had an ad in the paper. It was like, uh, you know, 12 hours of studio time for 500 bucks. And we kind of saw it and thought, eh, well, well, maybe we should. And then we're like, yeah, we don't have 500 bucks. We can't do it. And then the guy that used to book the club where we started out playing, he also ran a valet parking uh, business. And he was kind of stressed out. And one day uh, he experienced, he was the victim of road rage Ooh. on uh, the highway. And it freaked him out so much that he was like, I got to put something good in the universe somewhere. And so he came to me and he was like, I want to pay for you guys to go record uh, at the laundry room. I'll pay the 500 bucks if you go make an album. And I just want to make the world a better place by doing that. So good. So I said, great. So he paid for it. We went to Barrett's. <laughs> cool. and we did in thir- Barrett gave us one more hour. So in 13 hours, we made that whole Froggy Wolf. style tape from loading in to tracking to mixing to walking out with the master. God and, damn. Uh, so four of those songs... Uh, unchanged ended up on the debut. Okay. So we recorded, I think, nine at Conrad's place. And so Conrad's place was in a basement. You know, the laundry room was kind of a you know, ramshackly little thing with a 16-track recorder, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then Conrad's was also in a basement of a house and kind of ramshackly and low ceiling had a 16-track recorder. So that transition felt pretty natural, which is why four of those songs made it on the... Okay. On the mm-hmm. uh, including Kitty, I think. Kitty was one of the ones. And Bull Weeble and can't remember the other two. But um, How much multi-track... 
like how much live were you doing? How much overdub? I mean, was the band just doing it live and you were doing vocals after the fact or? Yeah, pretty much band doing it live and vocals after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And we would do the vocals all around the same mic too back in the early days, which we nice, stopped doing when, dude. We got, when we got into, uh, yeah. And so there was like chatter and rapport and energy and that's that was a big deal. For some reason, we stopped doing that when we got into a fancy studio. We kind of went into like, you know, this is how you record in a fancy studio sure. mode or something. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. some of the life got, you know, the, some of that uh, random energy was lost. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was, you know, I had a cold when we made that Froggy <laughs> Style thing, and it actually made my, uh, it actually made my voice sound better. <laughs> made it sound a little, little, little snargly, little gargly, gargly, snargly. So um, yeah, Dave later was like, "I'm glad you had a cold, man. That sounded <laughs> great." <laughs> I remember sipping tea and playing, like trying to figure it out. Yeah, good times. And so I actually, we're working on a reissue of our record on vinyl. And the first one. Part of the, yeah, as part of the, we're trying to figure it out and we've got labels who are interested and it almost is like a revisitation of getting signed again. (laughs) We're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, But I would love to make as an add on or like a bonus uh, prize. Uh, I'd like to remake those froggy style Please cassettes because cassettes are back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah! I will be the f- cassettes are back in first town. person to line up and, yeah. and well, I'm not going to line up. I'm not, I lied about the lining up part, but I'll, I'll be the line first person to buy it if that counts for anything. Okay. Um, Hell yeah! I mean, I'll pre-order it on Amazon. <laughs> there you that go. Sounds a, that's a li- That's a version of <laughs> that's lining up. True. <laughs> Nick's being more honest. That's fine. I said line up. To Virtual sound cool. lining up. It's fine. So right I, I, I know we've taken up so much yes, we time have. and I have a million and a half more questions. Uh, how are you well, doing Well, right you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry and kind of uh, tired. I had, sure. a, I, had a, I had a little stomach virus the last Oof. couple of days, so I'm kind of like oh, no. a little, feeling a little funky sideways. But I'm, I'm actually on the mend. I'm fine. That's good. But I, yeah, I've got a big weekend. I've got t- two shows a day, uh, four shows this weekend. So I've got a... Um, I'm just on the, re- I'm in recovery mode. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, wrap it up and then, uh, you guys, are you going to talk to Dave? Yes, Dieter, yes we heard? are. Is that, he's in? Okay. What? Sorry, I forgot to tell you that, Nick. <laughs> Oops. Oh, oh, did I just break yeah. a surprise? Did I just ruin a No, it's a good. Surprise? It's a good surprise. Oh, sh- Here's the thing. This is literally, ah, that's the third it. surprise I've given Nick and, uh, this week. And it's hilarious to watch him react. This is the greatest thing in the world. This it is, is amazing so much. Look at, look at that. <laughs> um, well, Chris, number one, just breathe, man. This breathe. is amazing of you, and I really appreciate oh, it. Gosh. I mean, I, your time is valuable, way more than mine, definitely more than Nick's. Um, oh. And I, I, I really. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I want you to a uh, tell people where they can find you. Promote whatever the hell you want to promote. This is not going to come out until you can see my. Oh, yeah, that's right, because I've got this big wide. Yeah, please thing. take notes. Um, uh, this probably is not going to come you need out to get this outro correct. Until, so please, this probably won't come out until next year because th- we're going to put them all out like in a row, and then fingers are <sighs> in the camera. This is what people at home can't see. Um, so. Where can people find you? What can they promote? What do you want to promote? This, <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to put the responsibility on you to come up with a tag that we're going to end every episode with. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, really, what I'm doing now is Casper Baby mm-hmm. Pants. So go to babypantsmusic.com, and the presidents still have a Facebook mm-hmm. page, so that's a good place to to chatter at us if you want to chatter at us. And yeah, we're working on this vinyl thing, oh. and I'm hoping we get that done 
before too long. It, with a, we three people tend to move at like glacial uh-huh. pace when it comes to getting our to-do list done. But we're working on it, and uh, hopefully it'll be ready soon, and then you know we'll let you guys know where to go for that. So that's about it. Babypansmusic.com for all things me. Oh, oh, yes. wait a minute, though. ChrisBalu.org. Okay. That is where you want to go. That's a site where I started putting up artwork that I've been doing and meditation music that I've been awesome. making. And then I expanded it about a year ago, I think now, where I realized I had all these cassettes lying around that were, you know, like Dukes of Pop and these weird, uh, this band called Egg from Boston yep. and that I had and, uh, God, what else? Feelings Hijackers, which is a thing I did with this guy um, out of sight, one of Mix-A-Lot's protégés. So anyway, I put a whole bunch of stuff up for free on chrisblue.org. So if you're looking to do some digging for, and you'll hear like, you know, president songs from the 80s played by other bands and um, weird, you know, stuff that's never surfaced. So that's a good place to go. chrisblue.org. Again, thank you. And then what do you want us to say at the end of every episode? That's Feather Plucking Insane. Perfect. Perfect. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh, Chris, thank you so much. No problemo. This has been uh, I, my... uh, big fan. Uh... <laughs> yeah, big fan. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> first time caller. All I've got to show her shreds of All I've got to keep is paper thin. All I've got to show her shreds of Unimpeachable, the songs of the Presidents of the United States of America is a Stolen Dress Entertainment production. The show is co-hosted by Nick Robes and Jason Klom. You can find the show in the Stolen Dress Sidecasts feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find podcasts, and at StolenDress.com. Find us on Twitter at StolenDress or Facebook.com slash StolenDress. On Twitter, find Nick at Nick Robes, N-I-C-R-O-B-E-S, and Jason at J. Klom. J-K-L-A-M-M. Disabling security and touching all the girls. Check out all the starstruck ramblers. Littering the dance floor with scorpions and sting. Here come all the ruby-studded hatners. Everybody came and destroyed everything. Hi, Nick. Fuck you. Ha ha ha! Yay! What the <laughs> fuck just happened? All I've got to show her shreds of boa. All I've got to keep is paper thin. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!